Under the Dome Radio for Season 1, a wrap-up episode, Podcasters Roundtable, recorded October 2nd, 2013. So let's go ahead and kick this thing off, Wayne. I'm going to cuddle up under a blanket with my favorite mini dome as we bring you this great season one wrap-up panel right after this message. Hey, TV fans. TV Talk connects you with your favorite TV shows like never before. The exciting brand new TV Talk app is here. The TV Talk app brings you fun and informative reviews and info related to your favorite TV shows. Delivered to your smartphone, tablet, or PC every morning. With the free TV Talk app, you can hear what other fans think and even submit your own review clip. The TV Talk app lets you share your feedback clip to Facebook or Twitter so your friends can join in the conversation too. Visit www.tvtalk.com. And download the free TV Talk app today. Uh, my name is Scott Herzog, and we are hosting a panel of awesome podcasters from literally across, uh, I guess, the United States tonight. And, um, and Canada. We're talking about Under the Dome. Oh, and Canada. Sorry about that. And, uh, and so why don't we go around and kind of introduce ourselves, talk a little bit about maybe why we're even on this podcast tonight talking about it. So, uh, Mark, let's start with you. Well, um, I'm so- from Solo Talk Media, and I host the uh, the Under the Dome podcast. And I'm from I'm the one from Canada, and uh, I'm just here joining these guys. I, I love this show, and I'm I want to talk about it and speculate, and uh, that's that's why I'm in the in this. So awesome, that's it for me. awesome, Doug. <laughs> Doug, how about you? Uh, I'm Doug Payton from uh, Consider This Podcasting at ctpodcasting.com. Uh, my personal podcast has nothing to do with sci-fi or TV. Uh, it's consider this a ten-minute or less political commentary. But my under the dome credentials are that I co-host the TV Talk Network show for this particular series. I did not, by the way, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, neither did I. Karen, how about you? Uh, yeah, I was Doug's co-host on the TV Talk Under the Dome show. Um, I read half of the book. When I found out I was getting the show, I put it down, and then I never got back around to it. I need to pick it back up, but I'm a very busy girl. Um, we'll give our Twitter handles at some point, and that's where all my stuff is. It's better that you just go there and look at my bio instead of me going through everything. I'm all over the place. <laughs> I am what my husband refers to as obscurely famous. So, oh, There you go. There you go. And Troy, uh, go ahead. Introduce yourself. Sure. Troy Heinrichs from UnderTheDomeRadio.com, part of Noodle Mix. Uh, thanks to Noodle Mix for sponsoring the live chat and live broadcast this evening. I've uh, been Absolutely. doing this with uh, my buddy Wayne uh, on the other side of the microphone here, and we'll be also moving into the TV Talk family this fall. Awesome. And Wayne, go ahead. Yes, I'm Wayne Henderson from MediaVoiceOvers.com, and after doing you know podcasts about Lost and Fringe, I'm hooked up with Troy to do the Under the Dome Radio podcast at underthedomeradio.com and we also are delving our toes into TV talk and every Sunday night we record a revenge TV talk episode. Awesome, awesome. And I'll be moderating this panel of awesome folks tonight and my name is Scott Herzog and I am from the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Um, we we start we thought we'd start off a guest by talking a little bit about who read the book and maybe whether that was really important to actually get into this series that ran for how long was it? Was it 10, 12 episodes? 13. 13. 
Okay, so how important was it for people to have read the book? I actually downloaded the book onto my Kindle, read about a chapter of it, never got past that chapter, watched the first three episodes of the show. So I'm kind of, I know a lot of what's going on just from our listeners talking about it. But why don't we start, why don't we start by uh, having, Doug, why don't you talk a little bit about, did you read the book? Was that even important to understand the show? I didn't read the book. Reason I, uh, well, I don't do much reading anyway, but uh, I thought that if uh, having read the book, I think you'd come with some preconceived notions, some expectations, and I would just rather be surprised, you know, from the word go. Uh, I think that um, I'm not a big Stephen King fan, but this uh, particular adaptation for TV, I think, uh, worked out uh, very nice. And so, I, like I said, I think it would just have had too many preconceived notions of what these people should be. And they're not acting like they're supposed to. They're not acting like the book. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, I, I thought I was, um, for me, it was a better experience, personally. Uh, Karen, how about for you? Yeah, like I said before, I read, I'm, I'm guessing, about half of the book. And it diverted almost immediately from the plot of the book when you watch the show. So I don't think one has anything to do with the other. I mean, the characters were similar by, in name, but really it just, it was completely different. They were two different animals. So if you read the book, I, I, if you had preconceived notions, they were torn down right away. So that's my perspective on it. Troy. I feverishly read the book. It's the first book I've read probably in 20 years other than web articles. So for me, it was a huge undertaking to go through 1,100 pages. I had, to do, <laughs> yeah. I had to do the reading and the audio in order to get it done in time. And as I look back on it now, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the book up until the very last part when the big reveal of who's behind the dome happens. So from that perspective, I was really excited for the show to see what I invested my time kind of come to fruition on the big screen. But at the same time, I was really kind of let down by the show because I didn't have that kind of shock and awe moment because I was expecting things to happen. So I, I might have done it differently uh, and not read the book and actually enjoyed the show for what it was and probably had a different point of view on it because of it. Now, Wayne, I've heard you talk about the fact that you read the book. What was this experience like having had this book under your belt and going into this uh, series? Well, I figured I might as well go ahead and read the book because I had already heard that the television show was going to be very different than the book. So I figured, okay, I can read the book and get a little background info, but knowing that there aren't going to be that many, very many spoilers in there because they already warned me, don't count on anything being the same. The book itself, it's a very long book. Even at listening to the audiobook at double speed, it still took forever to get through the book. And the last third of the book is where it really got exciting and a lot of action and finally getting some payoffs. And I know a lot of people aren't real happy with the ending, but it was very interesting to see how the book was put together and just kind of listening to it. And by the way, if you, I do have to warn anybody that's interested in checking out the book, it's very violent, full of profanity. It, it, it wouldn't, it's, it's over the top, but at the same time, the voice actor that does the book, there, there's like a hundred characters and he's able to keep track of all of them. It, it was a very pleasant experience. The guy, a real pro and with Stephen King being rumored to be writing the first episode of season two of under the dome, that's going to tie it back into the novel, I believe. And, and Mark, let's, uh, did you read the book ahead of time? 
No, I didn't actually. I uh, I downloaded the audiobook. It was in my to listen to uh, before I actually decided to do the podcast about the show. And when I decided to do the Under the Dome podcast, I, I purposely put off reading the book. I didn't want to have any pre- preconceived notions going into this. Um, and, and my plan is now that the season's over, I'm going to start listening to the book now. And uh, the, I'll compare it the opposite of what the other ones did. I'll, I've seen the show. Now I'm going to read the book or listen to the book and compare it that way. Uh, I think uh, doing it that way would almost maybe be a little bit harder because you'll come in with images of the characters that are based on the TV show rather than what you create in your own head. But be interesting. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Well, uh, uh, how do you want to take this? Uh, we can talk about the plot lines a little bit. Uh, we can talk about characters. Or why don't we talk about the way the plot unraveled um, throughout the season? And why don't we, uh, uh, Karen? Are you are you are you willing to talk about that maybe a little bit? Your perspective on the plot, how it played out, and how you felt about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think from watching it that. They might have had a direction that they were going, and they diverted from it a little bit as they went on filming. Um, I felt like maybe they had a path that they were thinking of, and then when they got renewed for a second season, they they uh, elongated it. And one of the things Doug and I mentioned was that we thought that they compressed a lot of stuff into the very end of the, the 13 episodes. And it really could have been, I don't know, the stuff in the middle could have been tweaked a little bit so that it wasn't all compressed at the end. I mean, isn't that what we said, Doug? Well, yeah, not knowing what your uh, schedule is going to be. If you start doing a, um, if you start doing a show and you, the original thing that I heard in the uh, in the news media was that it was going to be a like a thirteen episode miniseries. And so if you plan it out that way, you've got, you know, so much you've, you can do and uh, uh, you can't add too many side plots or you can't get too complicated. You've only got 13 shows. I mean, only that's 13 hours of TV and there's a lot you can do. But still, uh, you've got to have your, your arc pretty, pretty well nailed down. I thought personally that uh, 13 episodes wasn't enough for a first season. Part of the issue is that you've got so many uh, characters in this. You know, you're adapting a book, and it's a long book. And if you're going to do 13 <laughs> episodes for one book, it's going to be you're going to be zipping through there. But my problem was with 13 episodes is that you get introduced to a whole host of characters. You've got a core group, but you can't really get to know them that well because you can't spend so much time on an individual character or put somebody in an odd situation and see how they react and get to know your characters because if you don't get to know your characters you don't care what happens to them and that's really i you know, think the is the essence of storytelling you've got to care about your characters and um and therefore care about what's going on with them and and see how they react to things see how they change as the as time goes by um i think they did a. Uh, I think they did as good a job as they could with uh, with character development. They there were some issues with that. I mean, there's you can lay the um, lay the blame at uh, at the feet of both the writers and the scheduling, but uh, you know as far as how this all turned out. I mean, it was an enjoyable series, but there were just some things that would uh, I, I would have preferred they'd done differently. Like we said, the uh, the uh, the reveals in the last two episodes could have been stretched out a bit. 
Um, I mean, that's just that's just my thought because it just seemed like so much happened, especially in that last episode. You know, couldn't we just kind of bring this, uh, bring some of that and even it out a little bit? I know they wanted to go out with a bang. I'm sure that was what their plan was, <laughs> but uh, and they did. But uh, so and you know, maybe to get people to come back uh, next season, really, you know, get them interested in what's going on. But uh, but it just seemed like it was uh, too much uh, a, a huge bubble at the end there. Yeah, I kind of felt like when they introduced Maxine, was it Max? Was that her yeah. name? That was her name, right? Yep. That yep. that wasn't necessary. You know, they they could have filled their time with other stuff about the people we had already been introduced to. And that was, you yeah, know, just an example of it. Karen doesn't know the rules. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> don't mention Max's name. <laughs> oh, is that it? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan. I didn't like her on... Um, Oh, what is the other show she was on? The following? No, no. The the uh, Oliphant one. Justified. I hated her on Justified. Well, see, I agree with well, you, Doug, when I was when I was thinking about what you were saying there about how we kind of came in with this assumption it was going to be a mini series because in February it was going to be a mini series and then by May Brian and Neil were out in the media saying that they had kind of a three-season plot put together for this and if that was the case in May then why didn't they go back and tweak some of these episodes, you know, at least past episode four? Because I think up until the missile, things seemed to be in an okay place. And then after the missile hit, things kind of went awry. And I don't know if that's where they just got ahead of themselves and filming too much stuff kind of pre the audience reaction to the first couple episodes. I mean, I'm sure they tested it. I'm sure they, you know, went to the, you know, the markets and stuff to figure out what was going to happen. But if they knew this was going to be a three-season arc, then... You set up stuff kind of like Lost did, and I'm sure we'll have a th- thousand Lost comparisons this evening. But I mean, even in that first episode of Lost, they have the people, or the second or third episode of Lost, they have the people in the cave, and that pays off all the way in season six. So if they had this three episode kind of con- three season concept, why not pace this a little bit better and let's just focus on four characters, like we focused on Jack, Kate, uh, Sawyer, Saeed, was kind of like the main group for that first season. Uh, Adam and Eve. I loved yeah, Lost. I'm, al- I'm only, I just finished season three today, so no spoilers beyond that, please. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Jeez, it's been off the air long enough. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. I know. It, it, I, when I got into podcasting, everybody compares every single show to Lost, and I hadn't seen Lost. So finally I said, okay, enough's enough. I went up and bought the DVDs, and I've been binge-watching them. Started a few <laughs> weeks ago, and I just finished season, the season three today, so... Uh, and I'm loving it, by the way. Oh, good. Mm, so I was good. wanted to make sure. Mm-hmm. But, but I think that's the key point, right? I think knowing that Jack Bender was behind this and Brian K. Vaughn was behind this, and they had both worked on Lost, and Jack Bender even said that since he left Lost and when it ended, he hadn't really been looking at scripts. He'd been like disconnecting himself from Hollywood, and this was the first script that he read where he actually connected to it like he did with Lost. So being that we read the book over on this side of the camp, you know, it was a mer- very much a character-driven book like the story of Lost is. So I think we kind of went in with the assumption of, great, we're going to see another kind of Lost where, you know, the dome is just a scenery object and it's going to focus on the people, much like the island was a scenery object and we focused on the people. And instead we focused on the dome and what can the dome do. And I think that really kind of took away from the true essence, which was the relationships of Big Jim and Barbie and Julia. But with yeah. only 13 episodes, what you know, you only have so much time to do that. I think Lost in its first season was in the 
around plus or minus 20, wasn't it? Yeah, 24, yes. I think. Yeah. 24, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, there is something to be said for the shorter seasons as far as tightening up uh, show uh, and, and really cutting out the clutter and getting to the main idea. Someone said that here earlier on. Um, and so you would, you would have thought that having only 13 episodes for the first season, uh, that that would have tightened up the show. But what I'm gathering just from what you guys are saying is that after episode four, it kind of loses maybe the tightness it had in the first four episodes. There is a difference whenever, um, like this is network. When you look at cable shows, a lot of cable shows only have 10 episode seasons and they pack in a lot more information and a lot more plot uh, than Under the Dome did. Uh, but because this is network, they tend to, they, the, the pacing was much slower uh, per episode. You weren't getting as much. They had a lot of filler time where uh, there was really nothing happening on, on camera. You'd just get people staring at each other for a few seconds. It was wasting a lot of time where on a cable show you wouldn't get that sort of stuff and they could fit in a lot more uh, information into less episodes. So um, I don't think having the 13 episodes was the hindrance. I just think it was the pacing overall that was causing the problems. They could have had a faster pace to each episode, especially in the middle middle after episode four. Then it really slowed down a lot and then picked up again at the end. Can we say snow globes? (laughs) <laughs> oh no and but it was a great scene and yet then there's no relationship building between nori and angie the rest of the season mm-hmm. so if you're going to set exactly. that up do something with it you know right and plus with it being a summer series you really can't go beyond 13 episodes or then you're competing with all of the fall shows so i i don't think they had any choice with it being a summer series one thing i did I did like about it being sh- uh, short like this is that they were able to run it for 13 straight weeks and we didn't have any skip yes. weeks. We didn't have any hiatuses. It was nice to actually have an, uh, a network series with no breaks. 13 weeks straight, there's your series. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I love that format. I love that cable has adapted to that. Um, I wish the networks would do the same, but I know they have their, you know, their peak times and everything. But right. I, I, I think understand. it's great. I can understand a little bit of the hiatus. Like if you've got a, uh, even with a, you know, if you've got a 13 episode season, for example, if this was starting in the fall in September, um, after 13 weeks, there's a long time for people to forget, get disinterested in the, uh, in the show you had. And so you can lose, uh, you can lose some of that momentum, some of that, um, some of the thing you built up during uh, during your run, so um, especially with you know the twenty plus episode seasons, a little hiatus, not too long. If anybody remembers what Revolution did last year, you almost forgot what the show was about by the time it came back for its second half. But uh, a little bit of one, you know, t- especially since we're starting in September, you're going to bridge the uh, Thanksgiving Christmas stuff, and uh, so and you know you can pick up later, but. Uh, but with 13, yeah, you, you get a good, you, you keep the energy going, and I like that. I, I kind of uh, I, I really appreciated having that. But now it's going to be, what's 52 minus 13 weeks before, you know, or maybe more, and depending on when they start it, before we see it again. That's just a long, long time. 75% yeah. of the year. Crazy. Indeed. Are they looking for a second season that has, will the second season have another 13 episodes, or did they actually slate more for a second season? The it's word 13. on the yeah word on the streets thirteen June again. Okay, yeah. But the interesting thing that comes up with this and is did it get hurt by this new concept of how television is sold across um, the international markets? Because when you think about Under the Dome, 
I mean, here it's it's a big budget show. It got post Super Bowl billing with the crazy website you put in your address and the dome comes over your house. And you take that and have all this hype basically from February to June to mass market this to all these international markets and get a streaming deal with Amazon. And the show is in the black before one episode even airs. So do they care about the content anymore because they're making money every time they put a show on the air. And then when you have 12 million people tuning in on CBS, you know, in the States, you know, they don't really care about the genre television viewer in that case because people are just coming back because there's nothing else to watch in the summer. If you put this on at nine o'clock on, you know, Monday night right now, like Hostages is that just aired uh, here in the States for the new fall season, Hostages is in the toilet. So would Under the Dome suffer that same fate? I don't know. Probably would have. Yeah, I'm thinking it would have too. Summer has different rules. It mm-hmm. does, indeed. It does. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how it would have. Uh, how it would have fared. Not. But um, how about how about the characters in the show? As you, we, we talked a little bit here about plot. Let's go into. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you guys felt about the characters. Uh, we maybe stray into the acting, or maybe some of the memorable characters for you this season. And uh, why don't we start with you, Wayne? I think the most memorable, obviously, is Big Jim Rennie, the the big baddie. <laughs> I mean, I think that Dean Norris played Jim Rennie exactly how he was in the book. I mean, that part, I think, paralleled perfectly. He's probably the most talented actor on the show. I think he did a great job. I also really, against my judgment from past shows like V and things like that, I actually liked the young adult teenager characters on the show, uh, Benny and Joe and them. I really liked uh, how they played out as well. And uh, Troy, how about you? I am a big McKinsey Lintz fan this season. I think she was the one that probably resonated the best with the material that she was given to be able to act it out and have that kind of you know emotional uh, event when Alice dies. You know, she, I think she played really well all the way through. Now, as a book reader. I had to take some qualms with her character with her and Joe because in the book her and her and Joe are um, lifelong friends. So they have this 14, 16 years, you know, build up to start this relationship. And then here they're basically doing the, you know, we're going to die kiss by episode five. So I don't know if the combination of Joe and Nori was so awesome. If you're a book reader, because you wanted to see that be a little bit more true and have those feelings build up over time, especially, again, if it's going to be planned out for three seasons. Maybe it's a cliffhanger. Maybe it's the intro for season two. Uh, I think that would play off better there. But Mackenzie Lentz, I thought, just knocked it out of the park this season. Yeah, she did a good job. How about for you, Mark? Well, um, instead of talking about the characters I liked, um, anybody who listened to my podcast knew that the character Julia... Uh, played by Rachel Lefebvre. Um, I found she acted well. I just found the character very unbelievable. And uh, through the whole season, I kept harping on her on my podcast. Uh, I found the way she was written. Uh, she's she's a woman who lost her husband, and, and it seemed like it didn't really care to her. Like the, This entire series took place in less than two weeks, and she went from somebody who, first of all, um, Thought her husband was was locked outside the dome. Then she thought her husband had an, was having an affair on her. Then she thought her husband stole from her and left. And then she meets Barbie, and all of a sudden she has this new relationship. And I, so throughout the series, everything I just thought that her character was very unbelievable. Not to mention she's supposed to be a reporter, and for somebody who's supposed to be a reporter, she wasn't picking up clues. She wasn't looking. At one point in the series, she actually said. Why bother looking? We're not going to find anything. Like, have you ever heard a reporter talk like that? So, 
that character really got to me um, throughout. And um, the other character, Linda, uh, at the beginning of the series, I really liked Linda, and I thought she was a strong character, and she was um, she stood up to Big Jim at the beginning, and uh, she she was taking charge. She was. Uh, when she took on the role of sheriff, she was doing well. But then, as the series went by, all she became was Big Jim's lapdog, and she was a character that I I grew to dislike because she, she just wasn't doing anything. She was just following Big Jim, even though she knew what he had done and what type of person he was. She she wouldn't uh, she wouldn't see it for what it actually was, and and so she kind of lost a little bit of uh, respect for me for that. Um, so. That's it. Uh, the other characters I liked a lot. Ben, um, I loved Ben, but then again, uh, um, like uh, Wayne and Troy, I had him on my show, so uh, I've, I'm a little biased towards him. So uh, he's a great, a great guy, great actor. So, mm. anyways, that's it. <laughs> Karen, how about for you? I agree with everything you just said, Mark. To be honest, um, I think that Julia was not at all believable, but the actress did a great job, as you said. Um, she was kind of stupid in the show. And I said several times in our podcast that, you know, everyone thinks she's married still, including her. But she's already sleeping with someone else. <laughs> she doesn't seem torn up at all. What is the deal with that? So that kind of got on my nerves. Um, I thought Linda, I was really surprised by Linda at the end that she was just following Big Jim around doing whatever he wanted. And that really made me angry, especially since she looked up to Duke so much and saw the clay feet at that one point and knew that that Duke and Big Jim were in this thing together, but still, you know, she's just blindly following him at the end. Um, I liked the conversation she had with Junior, even though Junior was kind of a bad guy at that point. They kind of connected, and um, I liked that we saw two sides of that character. Um, and as the token female... On this podcast, I'm going to say Barbie Yum. Um, <laughs> loved Barbie. Um, and, of course, Dean Norris. Wow, uh, Big Jim. I squeed because during the last episode, I live-tweeted when he was live-tweeting something about him. And he tweeted me back, and I was like, yay, Dean Norris tweeted me. Um, I think he's just an exemplary actor, and he definitely had the most meat to work with and one of the things that I think of when I think of Big Jim is do we love to hate him or do we hate to love him you know it, it's difficult to reconcile that he's he's got a point that they're not part of America anymore they're under the stone the laws have to be different but he's still ruthless and just not the best guy ever um, the kids were okay uh, I thought Joe was really dumb I liked him, but just he just said whatever he had verbal diarrhea through the whole series. Every time something happened, he would go and blab it to someone else. There was just no filter on him, and I thought, you know, you'd think with all these weird things happening to you, you might not blab it to everybody in town, and and it caused a lot of issues, which I'm sure were, you know, the way that they got the plot going was to let Joe blab all this stuff to everyone. But um, yeah, and I loved Ben. He was one of my favorite characters, the surfer dude. That was Ben, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I loved him. I thought he was great. He could have been in it more. I, I kind of wanted him to be the poor hand. Mm. So, um, yeah, 
I think the characters were good. I think sometimes the writers weren't doing all they could to, to serve them. And Doug, I think you're the last one we need to hit here. What uh, what what would you think of some of the characters here? Well, I'm going to uh, cop out here and say I agree with everybody else pretty much. Uh, I, I what I, all I would ask for is I would have liked to seen more of Sheriff Lapidus, uh, uh, Duke, <laughs> and. <laughs> And uh, the character of Junior, yeah, I would have rather had Ben be the fourth end. The character of Junior kind of, there were some questions about him because clearly this kid is psychotic. Clearly this kid is manic. I mean, he's loving his father one day. He's hating him the next. And he's joining him to, you know, rule the galaxy as father and son. But, uh, But everybody seems like from the day the dome came down that he changed that day. That nobody even noticed this until you know. Wow, he's acting really strange, but he's not acting any differently from one to, you know one day to the next. So, if he had this psychosis going on, he's had it for a while. It doesn't just you know magically show up unless the dome did, and there was no evidence of that. So I was a little a little uh, uh, I didn't quite like that character how it was how he was written. But uh, generally speaking, no, I I think uh, I think Dale Barber was uh, was really done well, kind of the. The you know good guy who had to do bad stuff, trying to do good now, that sort of thing. I think he his struggle was really well done in there. And um, like you said, Mackenzie Lintz, uh, who is a native Atlantan, I think, uh, lives in Alpharetta. Uh, she did a great job with the emotions, the all the emotions that she had been put through. Her character was put through during the uh, uh, just you know the two weeks time of uh, of uh, the series. Um, going on so um yeah generally speaking uh i'm uh, agreeing with most of y'all here yeah except for the um i'm guessing i'm the only one who has the um thought well the, okay <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> does junior ever redeem himself i mean earlier on you kind of hate this kid he gets even deeper into his you know uh he, he he sides with Ollie with the farmers and he was almost gonna take his dad out or they want him to, you know, and he and he turns around and you know, goes, you know, after his father has disowned him and thrown him out of the house, now he's going back to his father and it's back and forth, back and forth, and to the very end they get back together again, such that Big Jim is gonna have Barbie killed and he's gonna make his son throw the switch, if you will. Oh man, talk about a dysfunctional family! But there and now, will he redeem himself? That's probably the first, hopefully, the first uh, uh, scene of uh, season two. With all that said, though, um, the the actor Alex, uh, what's his name? Alexander Coke. Coke is that his name? The plays Junior. Anyways, the yeah. actor is doing an awesome job. Like whether you like the character or not, he's doing an awesome job acting him. Oh, I agree. Oh, yeah, he's not. He's not bad. He's just written that way. If I may quote another line. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, I definitely got invested in him. So yeah, definitely he did a good job. Yeah. One of the questions that uh, Troy just posed in the chat room was, uh, "Who was your choice for the fourth hand? If you had a choice, I thought for sure that it just seemed to make sense that it would be Barbie, but no." I thought it would be Julia just because she had already interacted with the mini dome. Okay, very good. Uh, Karen, I, ha- I tended to have that thought as well because she wasn't zapped like Dory was when she touched it. Uh, Dodie, Dodie. Yeah. Sorry, I get I get Dodie and Nori mixed up. Um, th- she didn't get zapped when she touched it, and she had a vision 
of Joe. So I thought for sure she was going to be the fourth hand until we learned more about Junior, and then I, it was obvious it was going to be Junior. But like I said, I would have really loved to see Ben in it more, so if Ben had been the fourth hand, that would have made me smile. Uh, Doug, how about you? Yeah, I, I think they were trying to make us think that uh, Julia was going to be the fourth hand, but uh, my guess is that making them all, uh, you know, 20 somethings or younger, that's going to be significant later on. Yeah, you're probably right. And Troy? Well, being the book reader, I knew that Julia and Barbie would have been too close to the book, and they promised it was going to be different. So I excluded them right away. So then Junior was the next obvious choice, but again, he was the obvious choice. So I excluded Junior, and I went straight to, well, three kids, who's the fourth kid? And I wanted Ben to be the fourth hand. Okay. Now, what's this? Uh, someone wrote in here about MTV Best Kiss. What's going on here about the oh, kiss the dome? In the MTV Awards, there's a Best Kiss Award, and uh, I think they were discussing, along with me, what was the best kiss of the series. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think and the consensus the, was it was the preacher's ear against the dome. <laughs> there you go. That gets my vote. <laughs> oh, we had a couple of runners-up for that. It was Linda and Rusty and uh, Joe Nori and Julia and, Julia and Barbie and... Oh, it goes down through a bit. Maxine and Barbie, yuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That Maxine and Barbie one was really the big shocker one. Like, like, where did that come from? Left field, whoa. Right. And I was like, no, hands off my Barbie. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind if Julia kisses him. I'm okay with that. But. It was so, the one split second where I actually liked the Barbie and Julia relationship because I actually felt bad for Julia, but only for a split second. Right. <laughs> so what are some unresolved issues as we exit out of this season that we uh, are looking forward to hopefully being answered? Or maybe some things maybe we don't think will be answered that are just going to kind of let lie. Um, as we look at the this season, moving into season two here. Um, Linda, why don't you go ahead and, and uh, start us off here. Karen, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, not I Linda. I think... That I would like them to explore this um, youth issue. Um, the fact that there's an egg inside the mini dome. That pointed to a lot of different things for me. And then there was the chrysalis, which is something blossoming from youth. Um, it was all the kids that touched the dome. And um, the day that Alice died, a new baby was born. And then they put the egg at the end into the water and water is kind of a, a life-giving force you know in mythology and things like that and I would like them very much to delve into that I'm not sure if that will have anything to do with it but it's definitely a, a thought that I had watching the series um, I, I really want to see Big Jim and Barbie butt heads more um, and I just I want them to really ditch that whole secondary plot line with the you know the gambling and the underground stuff and since Maxine's gone hopefully that will be gone um, and I know Junior's still crazy okay <laughs> but since he does interact with the dome I think they need to even his character out a little bit he can still be on the dark side of things but even him out not make him so back and forth would be good too Troy how about you I think blue on blue is probably my the best episode of the season. Um, the finale was great for the visual effects. 
Um, the story was a little rushed, but the visual effects really made the finale what it was, which was pretty cool. But Blue on Blue was the best all-around episode. So I think the things that are lingering for me as we come out of season one are you you introduced so many storylines in that one episode between um, Dale Raul's character, Andrew Grinnell. You know, she meets this son she hasn't seen in over 12 or 18 years. I can't remember the exact number. Um, but now all of a sudden I want to know more about this relationship and I want to know more about this son. Um, Dodie and her mother are exchanging this, um, they speak sign language. So there's something in their family that's caused them to have to sign. Um, and so what's that relationship like? And now what is that relationship going to be for her mother at, when she finds out that Dodie's dead? Um, then there was the whole, uh, Nori and Alice with Nori's dad. I mean, that was really a huge thing that like blew up that week on the, in the Twitter sphere and social webs and everything. So what's that all about? And did Alice leave her dad for a reason? Could the dad be involved with this, um, real estate company that we got introduced to with the Maxine character? So there could be a bunch of tie-ins you can do with Nori's dad and, um, him being involved in this dome somehow. Uh, but the, I think the biggest thing that comes out of that episode is um, Benny when he said, yeah, all my friends are inside. So I've been talking to the random people and they said China is really worried about this thing. So it'd be really great to have kind of a, I don't know how many people saw Jericho uh, on the panel, but that kind of a concept where Jericho had this insurance companies took over the government and we basically blew up ourselves. You know, would that be interesting to find out that there is, again, more than one dome because that would be different from the book. And then these multiple domes are protecting us from a bigger thing that's coming as it's hinted to in the finale. Hmm, that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Doug, how about for you? Uh, what was left unresolved? What did you, what are you hoping they don't visit again? I hope they do uh, some more with the outside world. Although I can understand the name of the series is under the dome. It's not outside the dome, but <laughs> I think, <laughs> But I think it would be very interesting to find out a little more of what's, what the world is thinking about this. As far as inside, um, I've, it's, there's a lot of uh, different uh, ideas about what, who these people are that are doing the protecting, who created the dome. Are they aliens? Are they another type of human? Are they, you know, somewhere in the center of the earth kind of thing? I, they, they could... They could do they could do a little bit with that, and I would love to see them really. I'm I'm a real mystery you know guy. I'm not so much about the relationships that they're interesting, you know, but I, I'm 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 liking the mystery. So those kinds of questions are are uh, what make me tick. So those kinds of things. What is what is this thing going to birth? This egg, and uh, it's it's interesting how even aliens have the uh, idea of a, the shape of a chicken egg. It's it must be universal. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the kind of that's the kind of thing I'm interested in to see what the, see how uh, the outside political and uh, you know situation is because of this and the inside uh, mystery. Wayne, how about for you? I think everybody else pretty much said it all. I, I want to know who it is that's behind the dome. And like Doug touched on, it could be anything. It could be people from the past, people from the future, um, an alternate timeline. Maybe I've watched too much Fringe. It could be a combination (laughs) of all those things. But also the egg, if it's, I mean, it is very important. And now it's at the bottom of the lake. How are they ever going to find it and get it back now? But it's protected. I think that may be the only thing that they needed to have. Of course, if it just needed to be protected, why couldn't the people who put it there put it in the water mm-hmm. I, right but now it's protected you know from big jim but 
who knows what may lurk in that lake. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the Chester's Mill Loch Ness Monster. There, there you go. And uh, Mark, how about you? Anything left unresolved or anything that you hope they visit or don't revisit? Visit? Well, I agree with what the others said, but for me, it's a lot of the little, like not the major things, but the little things uh, that I'm curious about that I don't know if they're going to go back to. Uh, Barbie's dog tags. Twice in the show, we saw his dog tags and his dog tags look to have some sort of dent in them. And that's been bothering me. I don't know if it's a bullet hit him or something. So I was curious about that. Nori's dad was a big one. Um, the, the fact that the first time anybody touched the dome, they got zapped and then they were able to touch it. They never actually explained what that was. And I'm really curious about that. I don't know if they're going to, if they're going to carry on with that. Um, something from the first season that I'm not sure if they're going to continue on. And I really don't care if they do is the whole propane uh, drugs thing. I'm not sure if they're done with that story arc. Um, or if that's going to continue on to season two, uh, it seems if in the final episode, Linda was, uh, was no, had no problem forgetting about, uh, Jim's dealing with the drugs and all that. She completely forgot about that. So I'm wondering if it's going to be totally forgotten in season two. So that's it. Mm. And it's interesting. You mentioned the dog tags, cause that's actually the critical piece in the book as you get towards the end and what actually lands Barbie in jail. Oh, hmm. I think well, I one of the things we—if you've got an overarching storyline—if the—if the—if a show already has an overarching storyline, you can't really judge it by its first episode or even its first season, because if they've got a plan, they've got to put the chess pieces on the board, move them around a little, get you to understand how each of them moves, and then the second season is kind of where you really get to now put them under the uh, in the in the uh, pressure cooker and. You know, make them uh, make them sweat, and 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 I think, like I said, this is kind of the the first season is kind of the setup, and the second season we've seen all these things. You know, they 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 zoom in on the dog tag, they zoom in on the uh, the butterfly tattoo. Did you know she had one? Uh, they yeah, <laughs> miss that. Never those, saw those, kind, <laughs> those kinds of things they, they will pay off later. If you ever watch the ba- the the uh, TV series Babylon Five way back when. So much stuff in that, you know, things in the first season didn't pay off till season four. So it's one of these things that you got to let it play out. And, uh, and yeah, I hope they don't forget about it. Well, I hope so, too. Mm. So can we trust the writers, I guess, to actually carry this through for us? That's what we're, cause we're hoping, I guess. Yes. And with Stephen King writing the first episode of season two, I think that'll be a great way to re-jumpstart the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. The ship, as it were. Yeah. yeah. I thought the dog tag had the dent in it from Julia's husband shooting at him. He lost it before the shot was fired. Oh. Hmm. Mysteries. I have to go back and watch that again. Head scratching. Yeah. I'm head scratching. You can't see that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> just shrugging earlier. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, exactly. What sort of, uh, is there anything that you're dying to discuss here in the last 10 minutes of the show here before we kind of look at wrapping the, or moving toward a wrap up? I think if you go back to characters, I think coming from the book angle, there were some characters in the book that the changes to their characters, some were good and some were bad. So we'll take Sheriff Esquivel, right? So Linda in the book is not the sheriff. We actually meet the sheriff in the second episode in Mr. Randolph. And Randolph actually is the sheriff in the book for the duration. And 
unfortunately, the reason why Linda's character seemed kind of naive and go with the flow and whatever is because Randolph is Big Jim's lackey in the book. So I don't fault Linda's character for acting the way she did because it's very point with what's in the book if you're using the book as the bones of the story, as we've been told. Um, but at the same time, there's just so much more you could have done with Linda's character because she's not Randolph. You know, so I think that was an, an interesting twist. Then Ollie Dinsmore and Phil Bushy are actually two of the most critical characters in the climax of the book. So to take that twist and basically downgrade Phil to basically nothing was kind of a downer for me. But I did like the fact that Ollie goes from being a kid to an adult. And I really enjoyed the Ollie storyline. I actually felt that Ollie and Big Jim and that whole sequence was probably the most interesting changes from the book that actually made me go, huh, I'm actually going to stick with this because I like the fact that Barbie and Jim are now on the same team, even though we know that's bad news when you go with Big Jim. Um, But I think that change was really, really a, a great change for the television aspect to basically have this conversation about now, what do we do about crops? What do we do about water and rain and things of that nature? Um, and then Carolyn and Thurston in the book um, meet two kids in the woods. So they do have children. So again, a nice twist that they have Carolyn and Alice and Alice takes the medical place of what Thurston did in the book. And then they bring Nori as their kid. So again, just enough differences with those characters that it made it interesting. But again, I don't think they developed them enough to make me care what's the outcome of them in season two. Mm. I like big Jim and Ollie's frenemy relationship. Yeah. I thought that was good. Yeah. I like that too. I also think that some of the special effects were really, really good. Um, there's a scene at the end of, I don't know which episode, but after they drop the bomb and big Jim is looking out of the dome and it's just complete desolation um, outside the dome that it was very impactful for me. And I thought that was a really good effect. And some of them were like the butterfly flitting around while Barbie is digging Alice's grave. I was like, okay, can you hit us over the head anymore with that butterfly? <laughs> um, but I thought they did a good job. I know it's a big budget show, but they could have really fallen down on the job with the special effects. I think they did a good job with it. If anything, the, the Stephen Fleet is the supervisor of the visual effects on the show. Um, you know, we've talked with him on Twitter quite a bit over the season. I mean, if it wasn't for Steven's work, I don't know if the show would have been as successful because the, sp- the visual effects were just outstanding, like things that I've never even seen on television probably since, I don't know, 24, the X-Files maybe. And even back then, it was obviously much more crude than what we have today from a technology perspective. But photorealistic devastation there at the end of Blue on Blue was just awe-inspiring, to say the least. Yeah. That one really, I, I was very quiet watching that, just in awe of that that vision. It was great. And then, of course, Crystal. Superman's uh, Crystal Palace created at the finale there. I thought that was pretty <laughs> yeah, <laughs> outrageous. The Fortress of Solitude. Get it right. Fortress I got to take your nerd star. card away from you. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pink Star Castle. Yeah. Uh. How about other things? So let me ask you about just a little bit, Karen. I think you wrote this in the notes. Like we're so you have these people that are in the dome as the crisis continues. Um, does a does a season really explore? You mentioned are people acting way too stupidly? Are you talking about the main characters or just the common people of the town? 
No, some of the main characters. Um, I think Joe was really dumb sometimes. Um, you know, he he and Angie have this pact that they're not going to share this information with Julia. And the next thing he does is he turns to Julia and shares all the information with her. Um, and Angie, at one point, is talking to Junior, saying that since Junior is the fourth hand, they really have to, you know... Make sure that they can get rid of this dome. And, and she says, I'm not going back with you after the dome falls. Okay, so what motivation does Junior have to help bring the dome down? Because he wants to be with Angie. Hello, Angie. Play along. Just play along until the dome comes down. Then you can do whatever you want. But don't give away. Don't show your hand to this guy. I mean, there was just parts of it where I was like, why are you even talking? Just... <laughs> You know, I just thought that sometimes it was too much for our benefit. You know, they're trying to give us information, and it wasn't necessary. They could have just done it with a look, in Angie's case, where she, like, gives a little shifty look and goes, yeah, I'm sure we'll still be together. You know, (laughs) it didn't need to be this obviously dumb. Uh, It was like the town that can't play along. Mm. Well, that was evident in the... uh episode not to be named the fight club episode number 10 i think it was don't talk about the fight club but you know we said that with the the big reveals i mean it was you know big jim you know has his big reveal and then julia kind of very quickly puts two and two together oh you know my husband wanted you to kill him so i could get this life insurance money and it's like yeah she's really going to come to that conclusion right and then you know just don't lie to me anymore and we can keep you know doing whatever we're doing together right just it was it was just too rushed, too forced, and it just didn't seem natural. But I think it was this was the episode where we have to catch up the characters because the audience already knows this. So you have to put that in somewhere. But again, you're writing it into 15 minutes rather than two or three episodes. 13 episodes. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's, that's my Johnny One note here. One, one of the things that bothered me about um, was the whole... Um, the, the trial, uh, when Jim, the ac- accusations against Barbie, sorry, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, when Jim comes out to the public and says Barbie was charged with the shooting of Julia, the murder of Maxine and her, whatever, her henchman there. And then he says, and the murder of Agatha. That really got me because I'm wondering, Jim killed Agatha. She washed up on the island and Maxine found her. I'm sure Maxine did not report her mother killed. So when Jim says he accuses Barbie of killing Agatha, why isn't anybody saying, who's Agatha? Why isn't Linda saying, how come I didn't hear about this murder? Like, who's this Agatha person that Barbie's accused of killing? Linda didn't say anything because she's too busy calling the police force that she doesn't have on her radio. Yeah, all available units. (laughs) But that was a good point, Mark. Very good point. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, that's true. Big Jim's smarter than that. And the town folks obviously aren't because they just stand there and, you know, Barbie pleads not guilty. And yet, oh, well, we're going to hang him anyways. Yeah. And uh, we'll let's just build rush a, in the let's world's build gallows fastest in gallows. 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. So having a town that's been cut off for, what, two weeks, I think we said, is a, kind of the time period for the show. Are they reacting in a way we expect the town to react after being cut off for two weeks from the outside world? I think so, and I think one of the uh, I was reading uh, an article uh, in anticipation of this uh, this podcast about uh, their thoughts about how the uh, the plot went along, and they're saying 
you know, they, they well, they, of course, there would be looting, and of course, there would be, you know, this and that. But they didn't, you know, they didn't go after this particular angle. If you were, if you were cut off from the rest of the world, there would be this problem, and that problem. And they didn't deal with them. And I keep reading that. I'm going thirteen episodes. There was just not enough time to do. So you've got people who are saying, oh, they should have dealt with this because it's more realistic. And then you'd have people who say, oh, that's fluff. We don't need that. That's a fine line these writers have to deal with. But, uh, but you, you, so you can't, you have a, you have, when you have that constraint, you can't deal with all the possible um, issues. Now, this whole, yeah, it did, just did seem like the town was just whipped up really easily into saying, we're going to, you know, he, he pleads not guilty. And the next thing you know, they're building a gallows. The, the whole town is getting together and say, "Hop, yep, there he goes." You know, it, that that did seem a little uh, a little forced, rushed, but I think it had to be. And it was a perfect gallows. I mean, it was. They must have had a level, and a, a square. I mean, it was just. It was a perfect gallows and built in like an hour. It was crazy. Oh, they already had it in a kit. Oh, okay. So it was like an Ikea gallows? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Gallows yep. with the umlaut over the O? It might even uh, be the actual gallows that uh, Jim Rennie said his grandfather built the last one. You know, there someone's going to be searching on Amazon for a gallow kit now. Right. <laughs> well, it came, it came prepared with Ikea directions. That's all I remember. <laughs> uh, Scott, your, your question there. Um, reading an art- article with uh, an interview with Brian K. Vaughn, and he was saying that in this first season, he pictured the citizens of Chester's Mill um, they always had it in their head that they're going to get out. They're they're just waiting for the dome to come down. But he said in season two, the citizens are going to realize they're not getting out. And he said the citizens' mentalities are going to change because they realize that they're not getting out from this dome. So he said season two, we'll see a big difference in the town folks. Yeah, when that, and that makes sense. I mean, two weeks isn't a ton of time for it to really sink in. And, uh, and but, uh, you know, allow it to continue a bit longer and suddenly people are going to start they're going to start missing stuff. They're just going to be doing out with a lot more stuff than, than, than they've been doing without, and that will obviously change things. Two weeks is enough time for the bedlam to kick in. Then after that, the uh, reality sets in. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's not to say that the book is done yet either because there's a ton of the book that's been left out, things from the town hall meeting, things from the conclusion of the propane story. So some of that might even come into play as we move into season two, so there might not be... You know, uh, if you read the book in the you know, over the summer or over the, over the hiatus, I was going to say over the summer because that's when the hiatus usually is. But if you read the book over the winter, um, you know, you may still see some of that come to fruition in season two, possibly season three. All right. Well, we are quickly encroaching on an hour here. So any uh, final thoughts? Let's just let's go around and get, get get one final thought from everyone about just under the dome and then we'll wrap up with uh, finding out a little bit about where we can find everyone. So let's start. Mark, why don't we start with you? Final thoughts. Well, final thoughts. Um, I, I really, the show, it, it didn't leave me in a, in a mood where I'm going to be thinking about it for the next eight, nine months. I wish the season finale would have ended when the stars were shooting up into the sky before it, they, they turned the whole dome, dome white, if it would have ended there, then I would have been thinking for the next eight months, what's happening with the, the dome and, and Barbies on the gallows. But they showed us what happened with the stars, the dome turning white, and we know Barbie's going to live. So I, I feel that the finale didn't leave anything for me to, to speculate. 
until it comes back. So I was disappointed with that. But overall, I enjoyed the show and, and I am looking forward to the next season. Uh, Troy, how about you? I'm excited for season two because if we assume that we're jumping forward in time a couple weeks from what we've seen in a few articles from Brian and Neil uh, and with Stephen King writing it, I'm curious as the book reader to find what is the new territory we're moving into because now it has to be different than the book unless they bring in one or two concepts that are still kind of lingering. Um, the big thing for me about the dome is that I, I went in with expectations. So because of those expectations, I probably was a little bit more critical of it, especially getting on towards episodes nine through 11, the Maxine era, if you want to call it that. Um, but all in all, I think they have a plan and I think they're doing the right things. We just need to make sure we have a person that can paint the box of the puzzle better than Mrs. Jim Rennie. Wayne, uh, how about you? Final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts. I am very much looking forward to season two of Under the Dome and the fact that the first episode is being written by Stephen King. I just wish we didn't have to wait all the way until June for it to return. It just seems like forever. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how the outside world is responding to the fact that now the dome is opaque. I mean, that's got to be really freaking out China and some of the other countries and just finding some of the answers about why is it supposedly there to protect them and protect the folks of Chester's Mill from whom I, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be interesting. And now that the writers can take in, you know, comments they've heard from all over the media and ratings and viewership, at, you know, they can kind of tweak everything and hopefully make the next 13 episodes totally strong all the way through. And uh, Doug, final thoughts from you? I would like to, I, I think that since they know they have some more time, hopefully if they can get an agreement to, you know, get the three seasons that they planned on, I think that the the spread of those 13 um, episodes, the or the remaining episodes, the plot spread out, you know, evenly uh, throughout them, I think this is only going to get better. Uh, I've been a little bit down on it. Uh, I, I really did like the, uh, the overall story. Um, but and I think that they will have a better chance at getting telling the story the way they want to tell it rather than feeling rushed at the beginning and then told they can move it out. So, you know, th that that's going to screw up anybody's uh, anybody's plan anyway. So I just think it's going to be like I said, it can only get better from here. And uh, Karen, final thoughts about Under the Dome season one. I did like it. I think they have a lot of talent that they can use. Um, one of the things that I have mentioned is it reminds me of when I was in school and I would get a report card that says not living up to her full potential. Um, I'm thinking that they have so much talent in these people, the writers and the actors and, and even, you know, the baseline story, they, they really need to live up to that. That being said, I still think it's an enjoyable show. It's not lost. Uh, it's not Farscape, which is another one of my really favorite shows. Um, it, it's not deep. It, you know, you can splash around at the show. You won't drown. Um, I am, I'm looking forward to next season. I'm not going to be on the edge of my seat. I'll remember what it was. I'll probably binge watch it before it comes on again. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'll watch it when it comes on. <laughs> and there you go. There you go. Well, thanks, everyone, for coming and joining us on this 
Under the Dome Season 1 Postmortem Podcast. See, Wayne, you type that in there. We're going to use that title. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, why don't we go around and just uh, hear a little about, about where people can find you on the interwebs and social media and all sorts of podcasting that you do. And uh, Mark, you did give your final thoughts, right? I'm not ignoring you, right? Yes, I did. I did. Thank yeah, you. We start, I, thought we, I thought we started with you. Uh, but yeah. why don't you go ahead, since we have you here, uh, talk, tell us a little bit about where people can find you on the web if they want to find out more about you and check out your podcast and so forth. Sure. Um, you can check out my website is solotalkmedia.com. Uh, the best place to, if you want to keep up to date with me, is on Twitter, uh, at solotalkmedia. Uh, I'll be starting a new podcast, the Orphan Black podcast about the BBC America show Orphan Black. Uh, the, I'm doing a, a season one in review podcast starting next week uh, in anticipation of season two of Orphan Black that'll be coming out in April. So that's what uh, my plans are. You can also follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash solo talk media. So, and of course, uh, I'll be back next year for Under the Dome. <laughs> obviously. Uh, Doug, how about you? On Twitter, I'm at Doug Payton, that's P-A-Y-T-O-N, or for the podcast, it's at C-T Podcasting. I've got a Facebook page for the Consider This Podcast. I've got a Google Plus page for the both of you that use it for the Consider This Podcast. Uh, on the web, I'm at ctpodcasting.com. It's got pointers to all my shows, which so far is uh, one. And I'll be co-hosting the Person of Interest TV talk show with Daryl Darnell. In fact, I am. It's into uh, two two uh, episodes already, so, uh, you know, catch up. Oh, very good. Very good. Uh, Karen, how about you? I don't like catch up, Doug. Um, <laughs> we didn't we cover that already at the beginning? <laughs> uh, well, I am... I have the weirdest Twitter name, so I'll spell it. It's at Alveria, and it's A-L-E-V-E-R-I-A. It's a gaming thing. Um, all my links are there in my bio, but I'm all over the place. I do book reviews. Um, I do a castle podcast. I do a Farscape podcast. Um, I, do, I did Covert Affairs and Under the Dome for TV Talk when they were on, and I'll be doing... We just recorded our first Ironside TV Talk show. Uh, with Lou, and um, then I'm going to be doing Almost Human with co-host TBD um, nice. for TV Talk as well. So um, I'm all over the place. If you want to find me, I'm not hard to find. But uh, you can follow me at Elvary on Twitter. I'm usually kind of funny. So <laughs> very good. <laughs> I'll vouch for that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Troy, where can people find you? Twitter, of course, at Troy Heinritz. That's like Heinz ketchup and Ritz crackers with no Z in the middle. Aired in either fortune. Um, I also have LinkedIn, of course. Same Troy Heinritz. Google Plus Troy Heinritz. Just uh, do Troy Heinritz with quotes around it in Google and you'll find me all over the place. I will be also joining TV Talk family. I am currently hosting the fall's number one new show, The Blacklist with Dave on Monday nights or Tuesday mornings when you get the show in the feed. And we're doing TV Talk Revenge with Wayne across the aisle there, of course. And we'll fill the time until Dome comes back when we do Under the Dome Radio again next summer. Awesome. Awesome. And Wayne, where can people find you? Oh, here, there, and everywhere. Uh, my main site, mediavoiceovers.com, but we also 
do a podcast about the 13-time world champion Green Bay Packers. We have the PackersFanPodcast.com. I'm on Twitter at T-I-W-W-H, and I'll have all the links for all of these in the show notes for UnderTheDomeRadio.com. And, of course, excited to be doing TV Talk Revenge with Troy, uh, delving into the TV Talk app style of doing shows, and we're having fun there. And uh, we've got a few ideas already in place for spring as well. Ooh, ooh. And I am Scott Hertzog. I was a moderator tonight, and I am from the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Sci-FiDinerPodcast.com. We are the Sci-Fi Diner on Twitter and Facebook.com backslash Sci-Fi Diner. For those of you that helped out last year, thank you so much for nominating and voting for Noodle.mx Network Podcast Awards. With your help, the network had several shows that were finalists in many categories and even won an award. We would be honored to have your help again. The Podcasting Awards nominations open on October 1st and go through October 15th. You can only submit your nominations once, so gather them all together and then go over to podcastawards.com. You'll see a list of the categories available for nominations. Fill in the name and podcast URL for each podcast you want to nominate in its respective category. So, for example, for People's Choice, please enter Beyond the To-Do List with the web address beyondthetodolist.com. For Best Produced, please enter once-onceuponatimepodcast with the URL oncepodcast.com. For Business, please enter Beyond the To-Do List with the address beyondthetodolist.com. For comedy, enter the ramen noodle hyphen clean comedy podcast with the URL cleancomedypodcast.com. For education, please enter the sci fi show with the URL sci fi show.com. And that's S C I P H I in both the URL and the name. For entertainment, please enter once hyphen once upon a time podcast again with the URL oncepodcast.com. For religion inspiration, please enter Are You Just Watching? question mark with the URL areyoujustwatching.com. And for technology, please enter The Audacity to Podcast with the URL theaudacitytopodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel J. Lewis from Noodle Mix Network. Thank you very much for nominating and voting for our Noodle Mix Network podcast in the Podcast Awards. If any of these seem interesting to you, then please check them out along with all of our other award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Daily voting is open November 1st through 15th, so please visit podcastawards.com every day to vote for any of our podcasts among the finalists. If you'd like a daily reminder email, then please sign up at noodle.mx slash podcastawards, and I promise that will be the only email you receive from us. And for all of the other podcast hosts on Noodle Mix Network, thank you for your support. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast. 
theorize over TV shows like Once Upon a Time and Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Get productive in your personal and professional life. Laugh with our clean comedy. Delve into science fiction and philosophy. Learn critical thinking and movie reviews. And more at noodle.mx.